we are already there, and so it's hard to believe. If, well, I guess in Ecclesiastes, so if you're not super familiar with the Bible, that's okay. If you go to the book of Psalms, which is about right in the middle, and you flip over, you'll find Proverbs, and then you will land on Ecclesiastes next. And so that's where we're going to be. And you think, boy, Ecclesiastes is kind of a depressing book. And I thought Christmas was supposed to be a time of joy and celebration. So where are we going here, Pastor? Well, if you see the title of my message, I think it will make sense to you. The title is Searching for Satisfaction. Because we live in a, in a time, it's, it's always comical to me, maybe not in a funny sense, but just in an ironic sense, that we sit down at Thanksgiving with all kinds of food and family and we give thanks for everything that God has given us. And as soon as we finish that last bite, we pick up all the ads or we get online and we start shopping for more stuff. We just told God how thankful we were for everything and now we want to go find more stuff to clutter our homes with, right? And so I think that that really gives us a small snippet of the human heart that we are truly never really satisfied when we look for things of this life to give us satisfaction. And the reason I wanted to bring this message today is I think that it's very easy for us in the Christmas season to get caught up in all the commercialism and materialism that we know the world has made Christmas out to be. And perhaps you're here today and you think, well, I, I, I don't make Christmas about all that stuff. I make it about Christ like it's supposed to be. Well, I still think this message will be relevant to you because if we're honest, all of us at times look away from God to something else to try to satisfy the longings of our hearts. And when we do that, a lot of times the things that we find for a season are pleasurable. The Bible says that sin is pleasant for a season. And so it's not that everything out in the world is just horrible and it doesn't offer us any sense of satisfaction. It does. But not a lasting, not a true, and not an eternal and so I want us to look today at Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And I want to read to you verses 1 through 11. And I'm going to let you stay seated because you guys did a lot of work today with those songs. And so I, I, you're probably tired out and I don't want to push you too much. We're going to work our way up to this stuff. But for now, I'm going to read to you Ecclesiastes 2 verses 1 through 11. And this is uh, David's son Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, one of the wealthiest men that ever lived, and he's writing this word. So we should take note of what he says because he's got experience here. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself, but behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been in me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. 
And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will minister to us today, that this message would pierce our hearts, that we would take it and apply it to our lives, Lord, and to live a life of contentment in Christ alone. That our eyes would be turned away from the things of this world, as the old hymn says, the things of earth would grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. Father, help us today to live lives pleasing to you and pointing others to Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen. In 1965, some of you were around back then, some not. But in 1965, a group named the Rolling Stones put out a song called, I Can't Get No, Though I Try. Alright, that's enough. We won't sing the song this morning. But Mick Jagger and the Stones could have saved themselves a little bit of time if they just would have read the book of Ecclesiastes. Because Solomon already would have told them that you're not going to get no satisfaction from searching for things on the earth. There's nothing that's ultimately going to bring the fulfillment that you're seeking in your life from earth. One of my favorite quotes is from one of my favorite writers, a guy named C.S. Lewis. And he says this, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. That's deep when you think about what he's saying there. And so we we read our text today from Ecclesiastes. In chapter 1, he identifies himself as the preacher or the teacher. He is sharing wisdom. And so that title is someone that communicates wisdom. That is the the title that he takes for himself, but we, we know that this is Solomon writing. And one of the phrases that he uses over and over in the book of Ecclesiastes is under heaven or under the sun. And when he uses those terms, he's obviously speaking of this earthly life, this earthly kingdom. But more than that, he's speaking of things that are temporary, things that won't last in contrast to the eternal, in contrast to the things of heaven, if you will, the kingdom of God, which will last forever. So this is really a book, I believe, where Solomon, as an older man now, is relating his experiences of life. So chapter 1 is the introduction, chapter 12 is the conclusion, and in between those chapters is basically Solomon sharing with everyone, including us today, what he has learned over the lifetime of living as a man that had unlimited access to anything he wanted. I mean, imagine for a moment, if you will, we, we, I know people sometimes just like to ask this hypothetical question. What would you do if you won the lottery? What would you do with a million dollars? What would you do if you were as rich as Bill Gates? And we make a big list and we say, well, because we want it to sound good. So first thing we say is, well, I'll give a bunch to my church and I give a bunch to this charity. But the thing about it is, and I'm not saying that everybody that gets rich doesn't do those things, but most of the time, that stuff that you put down at the beginning of the list, it drops way down here. Way down there. 
by the time and whatever's left over, you know, that's, that's just, again, because when we get something, we immediately want to use it for our satisfaction and pleasure. And the truest joy comes when, not when we hoard things on ourselves, but when we give things away. When we bless others, we truly get blessed ourselves. And so that's a lesson that I think we, we continue to learn all our lives. Uh, over and over and over again. And so Solomon says in chapter 2 here, at the beginning, he says, I'm going to do a test. He said, he's talking to himself, and he said to my heart, come now, I'm going to test you. So we know from Scripture that the heart is not necessarily the organ inside of you pumping blood. The heart is the seat of emotion and affection. It's really who you are as an individual. And he says, I want to test myself. I want to see at my core who I really am. I'm going to do a little test. And I'm going to test myself with pleasure. I'm going to test myself with pleasure. What a strange way to have a test. But He's going to do that for us. And this is one of those things where as a parent, and all of you can relate to this as parents, all of us want to relate information to our children to help them avoid making the same mistakes that we did. Is that a fair statement? We have, as parents and as adults, we have blown it in many ways. We've lived long enough to make plenty of mistakes. And when our kids come along and our grandkids come along, we always are beating it in their heads, don't do this because I did this and this is what will happen. The sad thing is, and the hard thing about being a parent is, How often do the kids really take your advice? They don't. They have got to go through the same thing that you told them they were going to go through to learn it themselves to have the experience. And that seems is the process of human beings since the beginning. No matter how much we are told something, even little kids, don't touch that. Don't touch that. And as soon as you walk out of the room, they go. Don't they? Don't, I mean, it's just like when you say don't do this, it's just you might, well, you got to use reverse psychology. Don't, to have all the cookies you want, kids, eat away. And then maybe they won't eat them. I don't know if that'll work. But regardless, Solomon says, I'm going to test this thing with pleasure. Whatever it is that's going to bring you pleasure, go for it. And we see that in our world today, don't we? Nothing is off limits. I mean, we, the Bible talks about drinking sin like an iniquity like water, we're there. At least in America, we're there. I mean, you can't in your mind devise something wicked enough that somebody isn't already doing. I mean, the, the amount of just evil and wickedness that we see taking place in just in a few short years from what it used to be. Not to say that there was never evil up until a few years ago. But just the, the speed and the, the breadth and the length that it has went to is just almost unfathomable. And so Solomon says, I'm going to test myself with pleasure. I'm going to, to go out and enjoy myself. And in verse 3, he kind of starts to, to tell us a little bit about what he does. He says, I, I, I had, had some good times. I've laughed. And he said, this is madness and pleasure. What use is it? But verse 3, he says, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. And my heart was still guiding me. He said, but I wanted to figure out how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do during the few days of life. He said, you know, basically, 
I was partying it up. I had unlimited amounts of alcohol. I had unlimited amounts of resources. And I was in this thing to have a good time. I can tell you that when I was lost, that was the way I wanted to live my life. And I'll say this to you that are young, to our younger folks, and this message isn't just for you guys, but here's the thing. When you're young, you haven't experienced as much. And when things are new, they're much more attractive. It's easy for us to say, avoid these things, guys, because those things are not new to us. We've, we've been around them. Perhaps we've experimented with those things enough to where they've lost their luster. But the enemy will put all sorts of new things in front of you on a daily basis. And because they are new, you can't help but want to try them. And you've got to guard your heart against this. And we too have to guard our hearts against these things. Because Solomon says, I've, I tried all these things. I went out and I lived it up. I had fun. I made the object of my life to have pleasure. He was the hedonist to the nth degree. Now, some of you may say, well, I like to have parties at my house. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's great to have people over and have a cookout and fellowship. You know, it's wonderful to do those things. But you've never had a party like Solomon had a party. Because Solomon had a partay. He had the stuff to be able to have a big, big bash. Let me just, to give you an idea, let me read to you from 1 Kings chapter 4. Verses 22 and 23, and I'm reading this verse from the New Living Translation because I, I, it's more readable, and I just want you to have an understanding of, of what went into Solomon's party. Okay? The daily, this is daily, one day, the daily food requirements for Solomon's palace were 150 bushels of choice flour. 300 bushels of meal, 10 oxen from the fattening pens, 20 pasture-fed cattle. Anybody ever bought a cow? That's a lot of meat. This is 10 oxen, 20 cattle, 100 sheep or goats, as well as deer, gazelles, roe deer, and choice poultry. That, my friends, is a Baptist buffet to the nth degree. He was eating a lot every day having these parties. Wine as much as you could drink. Pleasure upon pleasure. And he says, I looked at these things and it was folly. And it was vanity. That word vanity is where we get the word breath or vapor. It's fleeting. It's meaningless. You hear in the Scriptures where, where James says, our life is but a vapor. It's here for a little while and it's gone. That's the same idea that Solomon is talking about when it comes to pleasure. It's fleeting. It's momentary. It's meaningless. There's nothing wrong with enjoying things. But you will not find your ultimate satisfaction in things. You're not going to find it there. And yet we pursue so many things thinking that this time we'll be satisfied. This car will make us happy. This house will make us happy. This job will make us happy. And after a while, the car is just old and ready to be traded in. The house is a burden. The job gets on our nerves. Because those things will never ultimately satisfy. And I'm going to take it a step farther. 
No human being will ever ultimately satisfy you. We have believed the lie that if we just find the perfect spouse, our lives will be complete. Jerry Maguire, when he said, you complete me, was wrong. Because if they were married and lived together long enough, he'd find out that she wasn't perfect and she didn't complete him. And no person can. And that's why I think so many marriages struggle is because we are looking at our spouse to fulfill something that only Christ can. And we are projecting on our spouses and on our boyfriends and girlfriends what we want them to be rather than being who God created us to be. You can't make your spouse be what you want them to be. But you can work on you being the person that God wants you to be. You're only responsible and able for yourself. You can't make anybody else be something that they're not. Only God can change a heart. And He's good at it. He's really good at it. So Solomon goes through all this. And he he says it's vanity. And we, I think we understand it's vanity. So why do we struggle with this still? Why is it so difficult? I want to read to you two verses from the New Testament. And I want us to think about what is being said in these verses. The first is in Colossians. The Apostle Paul writing here. Colossians 3, verse 3. Listen to what he says. He's writing to believers. And he says, For you have died. Now these folks that he's writing to were alive at the time. They weren't dead physically. But he says to them, You have died, past tense, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He's referring to their old sinful nature. When by faith they received Christ, who they used to be died. And that is the same that is true for you today. If you're here and you're lost, you are still condemned under the law. You are living in the old nature. And you will die lost in that nature. But when Christ saves you, that person dies spiritually. And God raises to life a new creature. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, old things have passed away. All things have become new. That is the new birth, or the, the, the being born again that takes place. And so Paul says, you've died And now your life is hidden with Christ. You're connected with Jesus. When the Father looks at you as a believer, He sees Christ. He sees the blood of Christ covering your sins. He sees the righteousness of Christ making you worthy. None of us are worthy for heaven, guys. It's only through Christ and His atoning work that we have access to God and a hope of eternity with Him. That's the good news of the Gospel. So Paul tells them this, and then in Hebrews 13 and 14, listen to what it says there. This world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Where is that? Heaven. We're here, and while we're here, we are to serve the Lord and to try to make sure that as many people as we can come with us to where we're going. That's our job. That's our duty. To glorify God and to make sure that we're telling people about Jesus so they can go with us and so they can glorify God until they leave here. That's, you, you, you say, what is the mission statement of your church? That's it. To glorify God and to see folks saved. It's really simple. We've, we've made it way too tough. That is our marching orders. And so, 
based on those two verses. We have died, and this world is not our home. Why do we struggle so much to hold on to things of this life? Why was Solomon saying, I'm going to live it up, when the Scriptures say, as a believer, you should have died, the old nature should have died, and you should understand that this world is not our home. I'll tell you why it's such a struggle. Or I'll let the Scriptures tell you why it's such a struggle. Galatians 5.17. Listen to what it says there. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Guys, as long as we are here on this earth, until we leave this body to go and be with the Lord and receive a new glorified body, there is going to be a struggle between what this book tells us to do and what this flesh tells us to do. Between where the Spirit is leading us and where, where we want to go. And, it, and the more that you understand that you are engaged in a spiritual battle every moment of your life, the more that you guys are going to be ready and equipped to handle the things that come against you. And they will come against you. Don't for a minute doubt that. And so there's a struggle. Solomon tells us these things. Parents tell their kids these things. But the struggle, I wish we could remove the struggle and one day it will be removed. The cross already started that. And in glory, that struggle will be removed. But for now, that struggle will still exist for all of us. And so Solomon says, I've lived up my life. I've partied. I've had buffets and wine. And that didn't do it. So in verses 4-8, through eight, he says, maybe stuff will make me happy. People and partying didn't quite do it. So maybe if I get some stuff, I'll be happy. I haven't watched this show, but there's a show called Parks and Recreation, right? Is that correct? There's a show out there called that? Well, Solomon, he started Parks and Recreation. He started it because I want you to understand that this man, he went out and he built stuff. He wanted to have an exquisite home. To give, just to give you a, a, a little understanding, Solomon's temple was one of the wonders of the world. It took seven years to build Solomon's temple. One of the greatest things ever built. Seven years. He spent 14 years on his own house. Okay? Building his house. Some of you like the garden. Put out flowers. I know Leanne, I know you like the garden and I'm sure others of you do. It's nice to go home and you have your little flower beds. Some of you have big flower beds. Solomon planted a 900 acre forest. How's that measure up to your garden? Feel a little smaller now? 900 acre forest. It was so big that he had to dig cisterns that you can still visit in Jerusalem today called the Pools of Solomon where these things were fed up with, filled up with water so he could irrigate his forest. That is the extreme measures that Solomon went to to test his heart and to see if things could satisfy him. And as he goes through this, he says, not only that, but I built things for my wives. All 700 of them. Maybe that kind of pleasure will satisfy me. Not one wife, not two wives, 700 wives. This is the extreme that Solomon went to to try to find pleasure. I want you to think about this and we'll wrap up here in just a moment with the, with the application of this. But Solomon's tried to party. 
He's tried to get stuff. He's tried to go the route of sexual exploitation. And all those things, he's going to tell us in just a moment, just still left him empty, vanity, meaningless, purposeless, not able to fill that void in his heart. And I want us to think about pleasure in the sense of what it does for us as, as human beings. All of us have different things in our lives that maybe bring us pleasure. And so, I want us to think about when... Pleasure is a good thing, by the way. God created this world to enjoy. I'm not saying that we ought to abstain from everything and, and we should have no fun in life and we should be miserable and walk around with frowns on our face and not enjoy things. Because everything God created, He said, was good and very good. And so, for us to look at creation and just automatically say everything's evil... That is besmirching the character of God. The reason why things are evil in this world is not because God made it evil, it's because sin corrupted everything. It's because when sin entered into this creation, godly things have become ungodly things. Sex, which God created, and is a beautiful thing between a man and a woman, has been perverted to the things that we see it being made of today. Do You see how, how all of that can, can play into life. And so when, when things go too far, I want you to think about pleasure. It's good to go out and have a nice meal. It's good to go out and have fun. It's good to take your wife or your, or your husband out and have a date and enjoy life. Go on vacation. See beautiful things. There's nothing wrong with that. You're not sinning by enjoying life. Uh, that's kind of what the Stoics, if you read about in the New Testament times, the Stoics, and we think about the, there was a group of folks called the Essenes, and maybe even today we might talk about the Amish, where they feel like if they just isolate themselves from all kinds of worldly things, that they'll be more holy. There's nothing wrong with enjoying things of the world. But when the things of the world become consuming to you, then there's a problem. And pleasure is one of those things. Pleasure is good, but when pleasure goes too far, number one, pleasure can become selfish. Because ultimately, if, if you get into it too deep, all pleasure is is trying to be about you. It's about simply, what can I do? What do I need to make me happy? And you lose the love for others. You lose the mission to serve other people. Pleasure, at number two, I would say, it never will ultimately bring contentment. If you're looking at things of life to please you, everything gets old eventually. Solomon had these parties. Man, I bet on Monday it was, it was great. Everybody showed up and they had a big time. Tuesday, we're doing it all over again. Wednesday, we're doing it all over again. Thursday, we're doing it all over again. And after a while, you're like, we, we've done this. I've been here, done this. Solomon, I ain't going to be able to make it tonight. I've got other things going on. Right? Because it gets boring. But then if Solomon said, hey, I'm doing something brand new, then all the excitement's back and we're back into it. And churches have fallen into that pattern in some ways too because churches feel like if we don't entertain people every week, they're not going to show back up. If, if, if you're here for the Lord and to worship, you'll show back up. If, if you're here to be entertained, I can't compete with Kings Island and the Bengals and everything that the world has to offer because they're going to throw money and, and try to please the flesh and that's not what church is about. You can't compete with that because people always want something bigger and better if they're looking at it from a fleshly side of things. And pleasure never fulfills the whole person. It may gratify the flesh, it may gratify the emotions, it may gratify the intellect, but rarely does it gratify everything at once. Only God can do that. He fulfills every part of your life. Physical, spiritual, mental. Every part of my life is complete in Christ. I don't have to look for anything else 
to fill in the voids where he has fallen short. And so Solomon comes to the conclusion in verses 9-11. through 11. He's looked at all this stuff. He's had pleasure upon pleasure. And, and listen to what he says. He says in verse 9, I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem, and my wisdom remained with me. Verse 10, Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward. So notice that he did say, I did a lot of stuff. And I enjoyed it. Do you see that he says that in verse 10? My heart found pleasure in all my toil. He didn't go out, he didn't come to the conclusion that partying was boring and I hated every minute of it and my, I hated to walk through my 900 acre forest because it was just horrible and I didn't want to mow all that grass anymore and building that big building is just a waste. He didn't say that. He said, I found some enjoyment in these things. They brought me some pleasure. And again, that is the right response to us as God's people in a world He created. You are going to be able to go out and enjoy things. And I'll take it a step farther and say that if you're not careful, you can enjoy sinful things. Because listen, if everything that was sinful, as soon as we did it, we were miserable and it was awful and terrible and we hated it, it'd be easy to avoid it, wouldn't it? But the thing that's so deceptive about sin is it's fun. It's enjoyable. It feels good for a while. And that's the danger with it, is you can enjoy good things and you can enjoy sinful things. And sometimes that line can be muddied if you're looking at it through a worldly perspective, especially, because the world is going to define that a lot differently than the Word of God defines it. One of my favorite quotes uh, by one of my favorite guys, Charles Spurgeon, is this. He said, You may think that you can live fine without Christ, but you cannot afford to die without Him. You can live your life, and some of you may be watching or in this room. You don't know Jesus, and you're living a pretty good life by the world's standards. You've got a home, car, job, kids, you're healthy. You say, I'm not doing that bad. You can live your life without Christ, but you can't afford to die without Him. And I would say that you really can't live your life to the fullness unless you have Jesus. Jesus isn't just a security net for when you die. Jesus is the source of life here and into eternity. And so, as we think about what Solomon is saying, and as we, we look at the corruption of the things that God has made, I want us to wrap up by, by going back to the New Testament and think about what the Apostle Paul said in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 1, Paul describes exactly what we see happening to this beautiful world that God created, perfect in all its ways. Now it's fallen into corruption. And not only the world, but the people of this world. All of us, before Jesus, were walking on this path. Romans 1, 21-25 says, For although they knew God, when you look out at the world, it's folly to say that this is an accident. It's crazy to think that all this stuff just randomly fell into place. That there is not a creator at work divinely orchestrating the beauty of everything that we see and the complexity of everything around us and in us. It's folly. He says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking 
and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God. You see that wording? They exchanged. They had this. They went with this. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They were idolaters. They had access to the true God and they made themselves their own gods instead to worship. They exchanged the glory of this God for a God that they could control, that they could touch and handle and manipulate. Therefore, God gave them up. Some of the scariest words in the Bible. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. He's saying that they took all of the things that God had provided and rather than glorifying Him for His goodness in giving them all these things, they worship the stuff instead of the giver. And we are guilty of that so often. God blesses us abundantly. And we are preoccupied with the stuff rather than the One who provides it to us. Why isn't this room packed out this morning? Because there are people today busy doing stuff and didn't make being here a priority. You can get mad at me if you want to get mad at me. But I've been doing this long enough and I've seen it long enough to know that very rarely does somebody come to the preacher and say, Preacher, I had Bengals tickets today, but I sold my Bengals tickets so I could come to church. Most of the time, it's pastor won't be at church today. We're going to Bengals game. Pastor won't be at church this week. We got soccer. Pastor won't be at church this week. We got dance. Pastor won't be at church this week because it's raining out, and and on and on and on. And and I mean, at some point, we've got to say God's been good to us, and I'm going to put Him first. And part of putting Him first is gathering with His bride, the church is Christ's bride, gathering together and worshiping and serving in a local congregation because He told us to do that. And if we want to obey the Word, we don't rip out the pages that we don't like. We obey all of it. And part of that, as being a New Testament believer, is when you're able... Now listen, there's times when you can't come to church. you got to work, you're sick, you're on vacation. You can't be at church every time the doors are open and no pastor in his right mind would expect that. But I think you can make it more than twice a year. Christmas and Easter, if you're a believer. I really do. Maybe, that's, maybe I'm setting the bar too high, but I don't think so. I think the Word of God sets it higher than that. So Solomon concludes with this in verse 11. He said, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it all, and behold, all was vanity. It was empty. It was meaningless. I was striving after the wind. Can you catch a handful of wind for me this morning? That's what he's saying. Couldn't catch it. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. To put that into New Testament terms, Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21 says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Boy, we got a lot of treasures on earth for people that are reading that verse right now. we got a lot of time and energy invested in this old dying ball of dirt that's going to burn up someday. 
that cars that are rusting away and houses that are falling down and bodies that are getting older and wrinkly, no matter how much we lay in the tanning beds and how much liposuction and plastic surgery we get, there ain't enough in this world to keep this old body alive. It's going to die. And so you better be ready for where you're going when this stuff wears out. Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. If you're chasing after things of the world, it's because your heart's still in this world. If you're all about the glory of God, it's because your heart is where it needs to be with Him. Church, I say it every week, but we are living in the last days. And I don't know what it's going to take for believers in this country to wake up and see the urgency all around us. We have got a message to take to the nations. We have got the best news in the world. And why we bite our tongues and sit on our hands is beyond me. But if you are not on fire for God, I would ask Him to light that flame today. I would ask Him. I don't know, maybe you've fallen into sin, maybe you've just gotten apathetic, maybe you've just misplaced your priorities, but you know when you're not where you ought to be. If you're a born-again believer and you've got the Spirit of God in you, you know when you're not quite where you need to be. And please, if you're not where you want to be or need to be, don't leave here in that same place. Do a little business with God today before you leave and say, God, create in me a clean heart. Get me where I need to be. Help me to be on fire for you. Help me to lay up for myself treasures in heaven. I don't need more stuff. I got nowhere to put the stuff I got now. But maybe the closet in my mansion in heaven is empty because I've not put anything in there yet. So help me to lay up some treasure in heaven today. Father, we thank you for this message, Lord. We thank You that You've allowed us to come into this place today and just worship You and an opportunity to, to hear Your Word preached and to sing songs to You. And so, Lord, I pray that we would apply this to our lives. All of us. It's, it's something that, especially as Americans, we struggle with, Lord, because we're so blessed. We have so much. And it's so easy to allow those things to consume us and allow those things to get a grip on us. Lord, help us to hold a little looser to the world and help us to cling tightly to Christ. Help us each day, Lord, to point people to You and to live lives of hope, uh, of, of joy, of peace. Lord, You know the chaos of this world, but You're still on the throne. You're not wringing Your hands or fretting, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that You're in control. I'm thankful that when the Father says, Go get My bride, that You're going to come back and nothing will stop that or thwart that plan. Lord, I know who I've believed in. And I'm persuaded that You are able to keep that which has been committed to You until Your return. But Lord, until You come back, may we be found faithful. May we as Your people serve You each and every day with joy and gladness and an urgency in our hearts, Lord. And we'll give You thanks today for all of that. In Jesus' name, Amen. This morning, the praise team is going to come and they're going to sing a hymn of invitation. And what we do during this time is we invite you to make a decision. We want you to respond to what has been preached. Preaching of the Word is part of the service.